yesterday when I was going over today's talk, uh, I was feeling flat spiritually. I just, you know, you just kind of feel a little aloof or whatever. And um, I, I was having, I had some music going at my desk and uh, the song first and only uh, came up. It's Elevation Worship and um, the lyric, the chorus is, I need you more, I need you more than ever. I need you more, Jesus, I need you more. We sing it here. And I paused for a while and just said, Lord, I need you. I acknowledge my need for you. And um, started singing it, you know. I kind of got into it. And um, like David, the psalmist, the king, the warrior, the shepherd, uh, when you read through Psalms, you'll see him talking to his soul. He'll say, soul, put your trust in God. Soul, praise the Lord. And it's a good thing. I think as human beings created in the image of God to talk to your soul, uh, sometimes our soul likes to go to sleep. And it likes to uh, maybe put it on cruise control. So, so we need to talk to it and say, hey, let's get engaged, right? And uh, I'm grateful that um, the Lord is, is faithful. And what a privilege it is to be able to teach from God's word. It's true. It's true. And we can put our, our hope and trust in it this morning. So with that, let's talk to the Lord, okay? Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We thank you for being here. The rain didn't keep you away. You didn't get caught up in traffic. Uh, everybody talking to you around the world didn't overwhelm you. Lord, you are everywhere at the same time, and we are grateful. This morning, Lord, we want to talk to our souls. And um, for some, we need to wake that soul up. It's, uh, it's been coasting. It's been cruising. It's been apathetic. Uh, we pray today that by your Holy Spirit, uh, you'll breathe life into us and into that soul. And may we stay engaged and may we allow you, Lord, to do a good work in us. We don't want to uh, just sit here and go through spiritual motions to make it look like we've got it together. There are people here today that are searching for you. They've uh, searched other ways and had come up empty. And we're all at a different place in that, in that journey. And so, thank you that you know each one of us and where we're at and what we brought into this place this morning. Very simply, Lord, our lives are in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. In the back of your program, there's an outline that, uh, there's some blanks, as you'll notice, and the cool thing is the answers are coming on the screen. So, you don't have to stress out and think, man, I've got to figure this out. Uh, put that stress at rest. Plus, we have Bibles at the back table. If you don't have a Bible, they're free. We encourage you to take it, read it, see God work in your life. And um, it, it's fun. It's fun to, to do that. So, yeah. Jay Salas, I don't know if you ever met him. Uh, grew up in Ogden, Utah. Anybody been to Ogden, Utah? Holy smoke. 
How do you like that? It's a popular place. They sell popcorn there, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But hey, hey, you've been there. That's good. Maybe you saw Jay. He came from a rough home. By the time he was 14 years old, he joined a gang when he was 14 years old. And uh, one night, his gang and his buddies, they were cruising down the main street of Ogden. And um, while they're cruising on the boulevard, another car pulls up next to him, which is their rival gang. And one of the dudes sticks his head out the window and starts swearing at Jay's gang in the car. Of course, that ticked him off. He had a 9mm pistol in his pocket. He pulled it out, closed his eyes, aimed it at the car, and fired all his shots into the, into the car. One of those bullets hit another young boy. That night, Jay says, my life would change forever. I was arrested and charged with attempted murder. That guy he shot survived. I found myself being bounced around between juvenile and adult prisons as I waited for my trial. I felt lost, confused, and all alone. When the trial came, it uh, had been decided since I was only 14 years old that I would be charged as a juvenile, not as an adult. I was found guilty and turned over to state custody. And upon my juvenile system release, the authorities said, Hey, Jay, you're not welcome in Ogden anymore. We're moving you six hours away. The state's placing you in a proctor home. That's kind of like a, a foster family at the other end of Utah. Jay had no family. He had no uh, support system around him, and he continued down that dangerous road of violence and addictions. And after a while, he met a young woman named Sherry. Shortly thereafter, they got married, and they had a baby. Then they had another baby. Jay had a problem with supporting his family, with his addictions. Every time he got some money, the money went for drugs, and... um, no matter how hard he tried to kick the habits, he couldn't do it. Many things continue to haunt Jay, like the time when Sherry called him when she was in the hospital ready to deliver their son, Jay Jr. Jay was so high on meth that he imagined his wife's words to be in a concocted lie from the police department and the police were going to entrap him. So he had already been in and out of jail on various charges of drug possession as well as dealing, and he ran off afraid, missing the birth of his only son. When Jay came off the meth, he ended up at the hospital, and he was so belligerent, out of control, the police were called in to deal with him. He was arrested, and he spent the next six months in the county jail. Jay, as you already heard, had an uncontrollable anger problem. Yeah, he he grew up in a messed up family. And that made him become so angry at the world that his anger often caused him to act out in physical and emotional abuse toward his family. He was carrying guilt around Uh, because he was abusing and cheating on his wife throughout their marriage. And at the root of all this mess was a drug addiction that poisoned 
every corner of his life. Now with a family of five, they found their way back to Ogden. Unfortunately, the change of scenery didn't do Jay any good. Um, He landed in jail for drugs and domestic violence more than once since he returned, and the cycle of destruction and hopelessness kept repeating itself in his life and around those that he knew. Over the course of time, man, Jay was tanking. And he was hitting the bottom of life. In God's great love, Jay started to, he met the local pastor in town and they met for coffee and the pastor asked him, so tell me what you're looking for, Jay. And Jay replied, I guess what I want is peace and the only way I can imagine to get it is to terminate my life. But I'm too big of a coward to do that. And he began to cry. He was told about the hope and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And the pastor asked him, if you were allowed to hope for something, what would it be, Jay? He said, a life without all this pain. But that kind of hope seems impossible. And the pastor said, what if I told you that I hope the same thing for you too? But I do believe it's possible, Jay. And when the pastor said that, Jay just started wailing in the coffee shop. Over the next few months, the pastor and Jay got together. Jay started attending church. At the end of a Sunday morning talk, the pastor gave the invitation, if any of you want to make Jesus the centerpiece of your life, if you want to begin this journey of hope and restoration, Come on, come on up for prayer. That day, Jay stepped out. He came forward, put his faith in Christ. And after a while, his wife, Sherry, did the very same thing. And so as a family, they brought their kids to church, and the kids watched their dad really from a distance because he had been so brutal up until that point to putting his faith in Christ. They didn't know if they could trust him. And they watched their dad grow in his faith with Jesus. And it was permanent. It wasn't temporary. It wasn't short-term. It was the real deal. And eventually, his children joined their mom and dad in the relationship with Christ. And as the years went by, his faith and understanding of the Bible grew to the point where he started a recovery group at the church for those coming and dealing with drug addictions. And today... Jay is a full-time recovery pastor at his church and um, presenting hope to the people who feel like life is hopeless. That's Jay on the right side. (laughs) Where did he go? There he is. You can all say hi to Jay. There, There he is. Recently, the church that Jay attends, they they did a survey among those who attend, and they found out, you know, they were asking, how did you end up coming here, and who influenced you? Over 500 people put Jay's name down as the reason for them attending that church. I want you to think about that, friend. What's your story? Maybe you're dealing with addictions or anger or whatever the case may be. 
Jesus will give you the hope that you need. He will forgive you. He will restore you. He's got a plan for your life. And we want to celebrate that today. Now, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. We're going to pick it up at Ephesians chapter 6. Um, at verse 10 on the back of your programs, those verses are all listed. Let's read that together. The final word, the final word. Paul, closing out the book, the letter to the church, says this is a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now. Paul's reminding the church that he's under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman guard, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Now, we could just close off there and call it the day, friends, couldn't we? That's that's a good word, Paul. Reading this text, we could ask the question, do you believe that Satan had an assignment on Jay Silas's life? Yes or no? Yes, he did. I'm sure there was a time when Satan thought he had Jay in his grip and he would never let him go. I'm sure people looked at Jay's life and they said, man, you have messed up so long and for so big God could never forgive you. Man, your, your life is hopeless. And I'm sure those voices in Jay's head went around and around, and he agreed. But Jesus wasn't going to have the end of that, was he? He went after Jay. He pursued Jay. And look at Jay's life today. Do you think Satan has an assignment on your life, yes or no? Yes, he does, just like for Jay. So I want to ask you today, do you want Satan to fulfill that assignment in your life, or do you want to do something about it? Because Jesus paid it all. You don't have to do anything because it's been done. All you need to do is receive that free gift of salvation. Unfortunately, when we look at the body of Christ in America today, so many don't believe we are in a battle or on a war, a spiritual war. They put their head in the spiritual sand and they think everything's cool. 
It gives them the right to live their lives the way they want to, without any consequences. And that's why I believe we have so many casualties in, the, in Christianity in America today, because there is so much compromise going on. And we'll talk more about that in moments. Tuesday morning in our life group, we're going through Tony Evans' book, Kingdom Man. Last Tuesday, this is what Tony said. Men, you are in a battle. You are in a war. The stakes of this war and its casualties are higher than a check mark in the win or loss column. Lives will be lost. Eternities will be shaped. Jesus has not asked you to be a fan. He has plenty of fans already. No fan ever set the stage for a battle to be won. Jesus wants men who will carry out his agenda and guidelines in a world in crises. Do you believe this world is in a crisis? I believe it is. Tony's been a chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys for years, going back to the Landry days. He says, I've been to my share of the NFL games. No matter how many games I've gone to or played in, I've never heard a player complain that the, the opponents were too tough or that the goal was too difficult to obtain. Anyone who has ever played or followed football knows that victory does not come just because you want it. Victory is earned only through sweat, guts, and blood. A win often comes through nothing more than sheer determination. It comes to those who know that exhaustion is simply a word and that purpose is far greater than pain. Tony's challenging the men. I would like to echo Tony this morning to the men here. God doesn't need any more fans. He needs men on the field. Not playing for defeat, but playing for victory. That's God's plan. That's his will for you and for the ladies as well. There was a hymn written back in 1865 in England. The Salvation Army picked it up. Onward Christian Soldiers. Do you know it's been taken out of a lot of the modern hymn books today? Because it's too radical. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus, going on before. (laughs) They knew it back then. How come we don't know it now? That we're in a war. We're in a battle. What's interesting in a little history note here, back in August 1941, Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt were on the battleship 
Prince of Wales to agree on the Atlantic Charter. You know what was going on at the same time? They had a church service on the ship. It was held for Prime Minister Churchill, and he chose the hymn. You know what he chose? Onward Christian Soldiers. And afterwards, he made a radio broadcast explaining why he chose that hymn. We sang, Onward Christian Soldiers indeed, and I felt that this was no vain presumption, but that we had the right to feel that we were serving a cause for the sake of which a trumpet has sounded from on high. When I looked upon that densely packed congregation of fighting men of the same language, of the same faith, of the same fundamental laws, of the same ideals, it swept across me that here was the only hope, but also the sure hope of saving the world from measureless degradation. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. On the back of your program, number one, in the notes, strong, point, strong. That's what God wants for you and for me. That's what Paul is encouraging you and I, to be strong spiritually. We need to be strong in this world, not in our own strength, but in the power of Almighty God. Verse 10, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And you can read through verse 13. A final word that literally means from now on. Paul is saying from now on, as we close out this letter, from now on I want you to focus on that you are in a spiritual battle and it is imperative that you put on that spiritual armor. Look at verse 12 where we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Now notice the word, it's a personal pronoun, we. It's not I. It's we. What does we mean? We means all of us in the body of Christ. We, we are involved in this spiritual war with the adversary. All of us from now on, we will be in this battle until Jesus comes back. And Paul realized that it was a battle in the unseen realm. Ephesians 6.13, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Is this the time of evil, friends? Yes or no? It was a time of evil in Paul's day with the goddess Diana being worshipped in Turkey, in Ephesus. People came from all around the world, and man, it was messed up big time. But yes, I, even more so today, our culture... It's a time of evil, but this is not a time to put our head in the sand nor go into hiding. This is a time to live our lives with full bore for God's honor, for his honor, just like like Jay Salas did and what he's doing today. He's living for God's honor. Man, the devil thought he had me, but Jesus set me free. Onward, Christian soldiers! I'm sure Jay sings that all the time. We're living in the last days, by the way. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.1, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. 
because we are living in these last days, Satan knows that his time is short. In Revelation 12, 12, the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Little time. Not a lot of time, but a little time. Mm-hmm. And Paul, we go back to chapter 1 as a reminder where Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus. And this could be our prayer this morning at Life Church as well in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. Paul says, I also pray that you will understand. Understand what, Paul? The incredible greatness of God's power for us who believed him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul is praying for the church to understand it's not about you or me trying harder. It's all about God's power that's resonant within you when you put your faith in Christ. Yeah. That's liberating. And Paul instructs us in this God's power In verse 11, he says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Notice it's not my my armor or your armor. Paul makes it distinctive here. He says it's God's armor. See it? Because if you try and put stuff on in your own strength, you're going to fail every time. You can't work it out because this is This is a spiritual battle, and we need spiritual armor, and that spiritual armor comes from God. It's God's armor that he is giving to you and to me. Aren't you glad for that? And then Paul says, I want you to know your equipment. Anytime you go on the battlefield or you go into an athletic event, you have equipment for that event, and you need to know the equipment that you have at your disposal. Paul says in verse 14, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness, first shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God is giving you and me tools to stand against Satan. He didn't put you on this planet in in a hopeless condition. Well, I hope you make it down there. No. He has given us everything we need to be victorious on this battlefield. Man. Paul's under house arrest, as we we heard. It's 61 AD in Rome. Paul's kind of looking for an image that he can send to the church uh, that where they could identify with what he's going to be talking about here. And in the process, he, he looks over, and he's, there's a Roman soldier, and he looks at his equipment, and he says, man, I can, I can use this in my letter. Let, let's take a look at this, uh, this equipment, man. Um, There it is. It's kind of intimidating, isn't it? Ah, oh, that's kind of the image that Paul uh, was relating back to the church at Ephesus. And even today, that equipment would look a little different in our modern day military, but you get the idea. 
So Paul's not referring to a literal armor, but he's talking about spiritual armor. But you look at those pieces of, of equipment that uh, the Roman soldier had at his disposal. And Paul says, as a follower of Christ, we can identify with that. Sub so point number one, it has to be put on. This equipment cannot stay in your locker. It cannot stay in your closet. Nor can you create some kind of a museum piece in your family room encased in glass. That's, that's the armor that God gave me. Isn't that cool looking? No. Paul says you've got to put it on. What I find interesting in, in verses 11, 13, 14, 15, and 17, five different times, Paul says it is your responsibility and mine to put on this armor. God's not going to come in in the morning in your bedroom and put it on for you. Wouldn't that be cool? huh? Or send an angel in and say, hey, time to put that armor on. Woo! Let's get going. No, 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 no. Paul, Paul, uh, verse 11, put on all of God's armor. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor. Verse 14, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. Verse 15, for shoes... Put on the peace that comes from the good news. Verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet. Five different times. Don't you think Paul is making a point to you and to me this morning? That God has given us everything, but we have the responsibility. It's the same thing with the gift of salvation. Jesus paid it all. It's a free gift, but we have to receive it. God will not force that relationship on you. You have to come to that place to say, I need forgiveness. Uh, My sins need to be forgiven. I need to be reconciled to my creator, God. And so I trust you, Jesus. Hmm. It's got to be put on. And so likewise, when it comes to the equipment that God has given to us, it's our responsibility to put it on. And... Why do we have to put it on? So point two, because we have an enemy. That's why. We have an enemy. Verse 11b, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. And you, you could read those verses that endorse the fact that we, in fact, do have an enemy, don't we? Yes, we do. Paul is saying that Satan and his demons are not flesh and blood, you know? Not like, not like you and me. They are spiritual beings. Our five, senses, our five senses cannot pick that up. But I'll tell you this, as a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit inside of you, just like when you get in your car and your alternator is not working, a red idiot light shows up. Boop, boop, boop. You know, something's wrong. The Holy Spirit sends off a red flashing light in front of your face to say, there is demonic activity here. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Paul says we struggle against an organized hierarchy of demonic evil rulers and authorities in this unseen world. It's kind of like a spiritual mafia. They're brutal. Let me ask you something. Do you think do you think Jace Salas was enjoying being addicted to drugs and 
all the other addictions he had. Do you think he was having a great time in life? No, no. He wanted to take his life. That's what Satan does, man. He's out to destroy you. And third, there's a force of evil characterized by unparalleled wickedness. You know, just, it's evil, it's dark, it's sinister. So, sub point three, my equipment. Let's zero in. God's armor, verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. I'm so glad. Man, when you read through this text, notice that word all keeps showing up as well. You know what part of the problem is? Is that Christians pick and choose what they want to put on and what they don't want to put on. And so they're walking around as wounded warriors and they're crippled in their faith and they suffer defeat after defeat. That's not what Paul's endorsing today. He's talking about putting on all of God's armor so that You will be able to stand firm against all the strategies, not some of the strategies of Satan. 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. And he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What happens? What happens when the devil's on your trail? You start to panic, you know, freak out. You don't have to. James 4.7 gives us a picture of what we can do. He says, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, for all of you guys that have those wood piles in your backyard, you know, where you're trying to let that wood dry out for your fireplace this fall, and you go to pick up the wood and it's been rainy and you, whoo, underneath you got all these creepy crawlers, cockroaches, And what do they do when the light hits? And they go running off into the darkness, you know? They can't handle the light. That is the imagery that that we're getting this morning, that when we resist the devil, he will flee from you. He'll flee. When the light comes, boom, he wants to go back into the darkness. So... Some point from this, my equipment, belt of truth. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Satan is the father of lies, isn't he? John eight forty four. we hit this last week or the week before. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Why would you want to live for a God like that, who lies to you all the time, who deceives you? Hmm? Jesus goes on in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich, satisfying life. So how do you resist temptation when temptation comes? For some, we try harder. You know, I got to try harder. I got to put more effort into it. You can try all you want, but you're going to keep on failing. Training 
training to become a man and woman of God is, is where it's at. Travis and I were at a con- uh, seminar on Thursday, and uh, they handed this book out, and this is what they had to say. Training versus trying. If you decide to run a marathon tomorrow but haven't been building up your stamina over the past months, you can try as hard as you want. You'll still likely collapse around the second mile. (laughs) Training is arranging your life around the things that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by direct effort. This is as true in the spiritual realm as it is in long-distance running, mountain trekking, or football. Spiritual disciplines practiced over time give the ability to keep in step with the Spirit. Believe it or not, many broken people have tried really hard again and again to get their act together, but they've failed every time to the point of giving up all hope. To them we say, stop trying, let's train instead. Let's arrange your life around things such as community and worship and prayer and Bible immersion. All of these will help you align yourself with the Holy Spirit. This will be the direction of your life, even if it's not the perfection of your life. There's a guy that meets with a couple, several men on every week, and he floats these questions around how the Spirit wants us to use our time to control what we read or watch, to study how we organize our habits and routines. It's actually good training for everyone. But of course, this assumes that they're willing to make the changes. And I would submit that this morning. Are you willing to make changes in your life? To stop trying, but begin to train in the things of God. A man came to me, the pastor, not long after I had performed his wedding, to admit, man, I'm struggling with pornography. I just just can't stop. It's a noose around my neck. I've had this battle for 20 years, and now my wife found out, and it's ruining everything for us. I said to him, okay, tell me about your moments of struggle. When are they the most intense? Typically, it's when she's gone. She works days, I work nights, so when I'm alone and bored. I asked him, well, where do you get your pornography? He said, online. Okay, let's get practical. There's three possible decisions for moving forward here. Number one. You can go to the store and buy a simple flip phone, something without a screen or internet access. It will still let you make phone calls, but you'll be removing the availability of all those websites. Number two, you can have your wife set up a password on your home desktop that only she knows. You would be saying, I don't trust myself to be on this computer when you're not around, so install a password and don't tell me what it is. Number three, since you talked about boredom, you can make yourself get out of the house whenever you're feeling bored. Go somewhere, change the scenery, put your mind to work on a different topic. Sadly, this man agreed to the second and third decisions, but not the first. Why? He says, I can't give up my smartphone. I'll just have to try harder. Too often, we are prone to assume we have rights, despite the fact that we claim to have made Jesus the Lord of our lives. Hey, I'm an adult. I have a right to have a smartphone. No, no, not if Jesus asks that from you. I have a right to prescription painkillers. My doctor said so. I have a right to alcohol in moderation. It's legal, you know. Folks in Colorado and a few other states now claim the same thing about marijuana. 
But if the substance is ruining you, maybe your legal rights have to submit to the higher authority of God who wants you to live in the wide open spaces of his freedom. He's always asking us to rise above our emotions and passions so we can be the people he's called us to be. I was approached by a, a guy who was a high-functioning alcoholic. He had a great job, had been, living, had been living with his wife for the past five years, but now she got fed up with his drinking. She left him. He was devastated. We began meeting once a week for dinner just before the church's Wednesday night service to work our way through the Gospel of John. One time I suggested a certain nearby restaurant. He said... I can't go there. That's the place where I used to drink a lot. Let's meet somewhere else. And so we did. So, here was a person who knew the exercise of his right to drink was not in his best interest as a child of God. He wanted to stay a safe distance from the scene that had trapped him for so long. You see it? So when temptation comes, we're talking about the belt of truth. Are you going to believe a lie? Or are you going to build training into your life instead of trying harder? Paul tells us we need to train. Be body armor of righteousness, verse 14b, and the body armor of God's righteousness. What's righteousness? What is righteousness? It's being right before God. It's being right in your relationship with God. How does, how does this righteousness protect you with, with the body armor? Very simply, when you're standing and you're facing attacks from the enemy, Satan, who is trying to accuse you, he attacks you and tells you what a terrible Christian you are. God has given you his righteousness. And you can stand face to face with the enemy, standing in not your righteousness, but the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The NIV says that we would become the righteousness of God. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad for that? The armor of righteousness. We can stand against the accusations of the enemy. See, shoes of peace, verse 15. For shoes... Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. We're talking about not peace with the nations. We're talking about because we're, we, we've experienced the righteousness of God, we are at peace in that relationship with him. We're at peace. Sin brings hostility between God and man who sin. There's a wall of hostility built. When we put our faith in Christ, that wall comes down and there is peace in that relationship with God and you. That's peace. I don't have to hope so or cross my fingers or whatever the case may be that I'm going to go to heaven. I know I'm at peace because I put my faith in Christ and Jesus paid it all. And the good news is the gospel. Because of what I've experienced, I can tell others about that good news. They can experience that peace too, just like Jay Salas did. 
D, shield of faith. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. The shield of faith, that's extinguished. Look at it, it says stopping the fiery arrows of the devil. Back when Paul was, was writing this, the most feared military weapon of the day was fire. Why? Because the army would take their arrows, they would, they would uh, get some cloth, wrap and dip it in pitch, wrap that cloth around the arrow, light it, and then shoot it. It was intimidating. Paul's talking about picking up the shield of faith, which was made of metal and mostly leather. Before they would go to battle, they would take their their shields and dip them in water, soak them in water, so when they were on the battlefield and these fiery arrows were shot at them, the soaked leather would extinguish the fiery arrows. Mm. The shield of faith. It's there to protect you. So when the enemy's shooting his fiery arrows at you, you don't have to be, oh no, just lift your shield of faith and watch those fiery arrows become extinguished. Another cool thing about those shields, by the way, they were designed not only to cover the individual soldier, but they could link up with the men next to them on their right and left and almost create an impenetrable wall. And as long as they stuck together in unity, they would wait for the enemy's ammunition to run out, and then they would move forward to destroy the enemy. Hmm. Can I just say this, that culture today is saying, you don't have to go to church. You could stay home and watch it on YouTube or whatever the case may be. Can I, you're setting yourself up for defeat with that kind of mentality. We need each other. We need to link those shields of faith together as a mighty armor, as we encourage one another to stand. And E, helmet of salvation, verse 17a, put on salvation as your helmet. Man, you can imagine fiery arrows, spears, uh, bodies being thrown around. You need to protect your head. What's this all about? The mind is where all temptation comes from. The enemy loves to attack you in your mind. And you put a helmet on there to guard. God in his peace will set a guard on your mind and your heart and give you that perfect peace that's not available anywhere else, only from him. That helmet gave the soldier confidence. And the helmet of salvation, you've been rescued. I've been rescued. Jesus loved me enough to go to the cross to die for me and for you. That that love is an an armor that Satan cannot penetrate. Your mind is protected. Hmm. F, sword of the Spirit, verse 17b, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the offensive weapon that God has given to you and to me. It is the Word of God. Rome had their swords. They were two feet long. Yes, they had their spears. That was for distance fighting. This sword was only two feet long, which meant it was getting pretty close, almost hand-to-hand combat. The Roman army would, would, would um, train with that two-foot sword 
And it would become second nature to them on how to weld it and to use it on the battlefield. Likewise, Paul is saying the word of God, we should read it, we should apply it to our lives. It should become second nature to us. When we are in a battle, we know where to go. And we use the word of God, just as Jesus used the word of God against Satan himself. Paul's talking about you put that armor on. Don't take it off before you go into a battle. Keep it on. Debbie and I, when we went to Israel the first time, we went as, as rookies. We, we didn't know what we were doing. In fact, we, we ended up walking the streets of Haifa, northern side of Israel, next to the Mediterranean Sea at 4.30 in the morning because nothing was open. We're walking around with our suitcases. Oh, man, this is so much fun. Not really. Just don't do that. Don't do that. So we end up, we end up in, in the old city uh, a couple days later, and, and it's late, and we're trying to find a place to stay, and there's a hostel in the old city. And I'll just say this. I slept with my clothes on. It was creepy. It, it, was, it was a creepy place, and I felt like I had to in case we needed to get out of there in a hurry. I believe that as followers of Christ, we should sleep with our armor on. That armor should be on 24-7. Why would you take it off? When you put it on, get some Gorilla Glue and glue it on. (laughs) Keep it on. Because as a man, when you go to sleep at night, you can let your mind wander. You can think about sensual things that are not honoring to the Lord. So as a man, I would encourage you to keep your armor on. Keep that helmet of salvation on when you go to bed at night. Because when those fiery arrows are hitting, you need every piece of armor to stay true and strong in the Lord. The Bible, man, the Bible... Rosaria Butterfield wrote the book Openness Unhindered. She was a professor in a New York university who wanted nothing to do with the Bible. She started reading it because she wanted to prove how hokey it was. Mm. She says, after years and years of this, something happened. The Bible got to be bigger inside me than I. It overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might. I had read the Bible Many times through, and I saw for myself that it had a holy author. I saw for myself that it was a collection of 66 books with a unified biblical revelation. And one day, one day, my hands let go of the wheel of self-invention. I came to Jesus alone and open-handed. I had no dignity upon which to stand. As an advocate for peace and social justice, I thought that I was on the side of kindness, integrity, and care. It was thus a crushing revelation to discover that it was Jesus I had been persecuting the whole time. Not just some historical figure named Jesus, but my Jesus, my King, my Savior, my Redeemer, my friend, that Jesus. Do you see what happens when you read the Bible? It messes you up. You become like Jesus. 
That's what happened to Jay Salas, man. He was reading the Bible. God transformed him, renewed him from the inside out. I think, I think some of us are afraid to read the Bible because we don't want to change. We like addictions. We like life-controlling habits. We're comfortable. That's our security blanket. I want to challenge you to read the Bible and read it consistently. And it's a great weapon that God's given to us. Number three, pray always. Pray always. The most important weapon we have is prayer. Ed Payson put it this way, prayer is the first thing, the second thing, the third thing necessary. Pray therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, pray, pray, pray. You get the idea there. James 5.16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Paul says in verse 18.1, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Pray all the time. Praying in the Spirit means you rest in the intercession of the Holy Spirit as you pray. You rest in the Holy Spirit because He knows how to pray. Romans 8.26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Mm. Paul is saying that prayer is, it's talking to God. It's a conversation. Saying things to God that are beyond your knowledge or understanding or experience. Prayer is simply resting in the Lord. Hmm. Paul is saying, don't put God on hold. Don't hang up on God. Keep that line open so that you can pray at all times on every occasion. And sometimes it's a simple prayer of help, Lord. Help. Number two, be alert and persistent. Verse 18b, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You can talk to God about the little things and you can talk to God about the big things, the major things. Paul says, stay alert. And I can tell you, there are many times I fall asleep when I pray. You know? Yeah, I fall asleep. You think God gets ticked off? He, 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 he sends a memo to Jesus, hey, we need to take this dude out, man. He's sleeping on us again. No, no, no. I think God is okay with that, and I'll tell you why. Because even this morning early, when I woke up in the middle of the night, I went to bed praying, and when I woke up, I was starting to pray again. Lord, help me to communicate what you want me to say this morning. I pray for the people that you're going to bring in this morning, Lord, that you will open up their hearts to hear what you want to say. So to me, that's the picture, the model that Paul is saying, that I get it, we can't pray 24-7, but when those opportunities come, we can pray. And we need to be alert. We need to pray for believers everywhere. And three, boldness. We need to pray boldness telling the gospel. Verse 19, Paul says, and pray for me too. Pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. 
I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Paul, this super apostle, is humbling himself and asking the church to pray for him. I need prayer, he's saying. And even though I'm I'm chained to this Roman soldier, I need boldness to tell him about the great love of Jesus. I need help with that. Just like you and I need help to be bold in our faith, to model it in front of the people that God brings into our world. I'm so grateful that Ann Snyder and others started these prayer gatherings on Wednesday and Thursday. It's so cool to participate in, okay, we're going we're gonna to pray for the Lees and the Becks, you know. Pray for me, Paul says, to have people praying for you. It's so amazing, a privilege. And I believe, man, it's very beneficial for the life at Life Church. Prayer is very important. And so as we look at prayer, this is not to make you feel guilty. You know, I should do more. I'm not doing it enough. And you beat yourself up. It's a starting point for opportunities to talk to God about the little things and the big things in your life. Bring them to him because he's waiting to hear from you. Why? Because he loves you. Last week, an article came out saying Iran has the world's fastest growing church. Iran. The fastest growing church in the world, an underground persecuted Christian movement in a country known for exporting radical Islamic terrorism. People in Iran, a Muslim-majority nation, are fleeing Islam in droves as believers bow their knee to Jesus and become aggressively pro-Israel. What if I told you Islam is dead? What if I told you the mosques are empty inside Iran? What if I told you no one follows Islam inside Iran? Would you believe me? Well, that's exactly what's happening inside Iran. God is moving powerfully inside Iran. New believers in Iran face great risks. We know that if they get us, the first thing they will do is they will beat us and ultimately kill us. This is the decision we have made that we want to offer our bodies to Jesus as sacrifices because I have this thought when I wake up that when I leave that door, I may not come back again. The pastor explained everything that God has been doing in Iran has been built on prayer. Mm -hmm. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in Iran. Thank you for what you're doing in our personal lives. Thank you for what you did and are doing in Jay Salas' life, Lord. A person who I'm sure signed my life is hopeless. It's, it's not even worth living anymore. I've messed up so long and for so many different ways. But Jesus, you went after him in the spiritual battle. 
There's spiritual battles going on here right now in this room where people are thinking, I've messed up too bad, too long for God to love me and for God to forgive me. That's a lie. I pray that your Holy Spirit will encourage them to take that step of faith to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. You paid for my sin debt in full. And this morning, Jesus, I put all my trust in you. All my trust. So thank you for paying for my sin debt in full. I receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name. What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you? He's been speaking. Let's just take a few moments right where we're at. To agree with what God wants to do in each one of our lives. Lord, forgive me for not being proactive in this battle. Forgive me for being a fan and not getting on the field in the spiritual war. Forgive me, Lord, for not putting on all your armor. Forgive me for rationalizing and compromising and justifying why I need and can stay addicted to these life-controlling habits. Forgive me, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for reconciling me today. Thank you for loving me enough to pursue me. Just like you did, Jay Salas. In Jesus' name we pray.